The Aldis Podcast is brought to you by Aldis International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our ServiceNow series, where we interview the best and brightest of the industry to share their story, advice, and views on the exciting world of ServiceNow and digital transformation. Welcome to another edition of the Aldus Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ben Sparks, and today we are continuing with our digital transformation series with a focus on ServiceNow. Today, we are very lucky to be speaking with Kenny Hosey. Kenny is a servant leader and currently working at Advent Health as the Director of Service Management. He's a champion for IT transformation. Deedza currently leads a 20-member IT service management team and is uh, effectively platform owner across the business there. Kenny will be giving us an overview of a number of different topics, including his background and story, but with a focus on macro-digital transformation trends in healthcare, ServiceNow implementation best practice, and some of the uh, learns he's had on his journey. He's going to give us some insight into his views on what makes a great director of service management and also what it takes in his view to build a winning team. Kenny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely excited to talk about a little bit of my journey and some of the aspects of ITSM and ServiceNow. Indeed, indeed. We're pumped to have you here. So let, let's let's talk about Advent Health quickly. Give, us, give our listeners a quick overview of that organization for those that haven't heard of it already. Yeah, Advent Health is uh, currently made up of over 50 hospitals uh, in seven states. We are in acquisition mode. We're expanding all the time. We currently have over 80,000 employees that work with us, and we serve about 4.7 million patients annually. Currently, we're about 2,000 plus employees in our Advent Health IT. We refer to that as AIT. So if you hear me say AIT during the conversation, that's what I'm referring to. Thank you very much. And your role, obviously, Director of Service Management, but break that down a little bit for me. Yeah, absolutely. So I have uh, responsibility for all of our ITSM practices. So that includes incident management, problem management, change enablement, request, asset management, configuration management, basically all the management that we know about from from the ITIL practices, but also over the ServiceNow platform. So we have a dev team of about uh, five individuals who who work on developing and, and supporting our ServiceNow environment, and that environment supports the the full eighty thousand employees for the organization. Amazing. So let's give our listeners an overview of who they're listening to. Give us a little bit about your career and interested in milestones, any key moves, and as everyone has a different story, how you got introduced to ServiceNow. I get told a lot that I have an interesting career path type people when I start talking through it. To me, it seems normal because I lived it. But basically, while I was going through the progress of my career and the trying out different areas, at one point, I was consulting at Walt Disney World. And, and with that consulting role, we were going through the internal evaluation process as I was moving out of that role. And I actually joined a consulting company during that time and, and moved on from Disney. And my new position with consulting was around ITSM, but more specifically, I have a development background and CA Service Desk Manager was the tool that I had previously been involved with. And if anyone's used CA Service Desk Manager, 
passed. I know they've been acquired since then, but they were actually written on their own custom language called spell code. So it was hard to find people that knew that language. And that's really why I fell into that niche. And as I was going through there, I, I understood the, the whispers of service now. I understood the benefit of that cloud-first platform. And, and so I was really pushing over and over again to learn ServiceNow. However, the, the company's strategy was more to bring in people from ServiceNow and get them on board rather than train others. And within a year, I actually got an ad opportunity at Advent Health. They were on CA Service Desk Manager. But one of my big pushes was how do we transition to ServiceNow? Because that's where uh, I understood the market was going. That's where I understood they were expanding and, and that ITSM first approach that they had at the time, as well as that cloud first platform that was really beneficial. And when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, we in the podcast, we try and give an overview of best practice, but also touch on mentorship. But you've navigated through the ranks. You're obviously a director now. There's people making similar moves from consultant, you know, to, to, to manager, to director. Looking back, what's been what's contributed towards your success and what are some of the learns or maybe even challenges that you've overcome on the way? Yeah, I think the biggest piece is the ability to pivot. Once once you get with an organization, and anyone who's working with a large organization with a, a large IT footprint understands those priorities are going to shift, especially as we've come through this whole COVID experience and, and even more meaningful in, in the healthcare arena. We had to, to really change our, our, our strategy, especially for that, that 2020 year. And in fact, I, I joke with my team all the time. I spent so much time in early... Uh, 2020, late 2019, early 2020, doing some of the strategy for the year. And uh, we pretty much just lit that on fire because of everything that happened. That's really a big piece of it, being able to pivot as the business requires us to pivot. There's going to always be conflicting priorities, and, and those priorities may change from week to week or day to day, and you can't get too hung up on it. Yes, we have our long-term goals. We know what we want to try to get to, but that's really a big piece of it. My initial career, I started off and AV, doing home theater installs. I also worked for a company that set up AV equipment and computer equipment for large conventions. Then I got into computer computer repair, PC repair. And then I ended up at a service desk at a healthcare system. From then I jumped to administration, database design, development, and then following that, I went into security, did my degree in digital forensics, ultimately landed in service management, doing configuration and asset management, and then ultimately the ITSM stuff. That, that ability over my career to pivot has also translated to being able to take some of the pivots that we have internally. And, and as we progress through leadership, being able to take those lumps and be able to shift when the need comes, that's really important. That doesn't mean abandon your strategy. That doesn't mean give up on the strategy planning altogether. It just, it, and be ready for the pivot and also build a team that, that can handle that type of change that has to occur very frequently. I think, I think that's a really good advice. And I think sometimes we get so hung up on the end result that we forget we need to, there's a winding path to get there. So I'd love to zoom out a little bit. Obviously, you're in the healthcare industry at the moment. What are some of the more macro or more general trends that are driving digital transformation in, in, in that industry specifically? Yeah, this is a really good question. And from the vantage point that I'm at right now, when, when I take a step back and say, what's here to stay from our pivot from COVID? What's going to be something that will be more long-term affecting or drive some of the, the strategy and healthcare 
from a business perspective. Uh, I think the first thing is the telemedicine aspect. I, I think that's going to continue to drive most healthcare organizations. When we start to talk about providing care in someone's home, that's something that we really didn't think heavily about before technology came along and started enabling that. As more and more people were forced not to go out in public and go to um go to the hospitals. And, and a lot of people were scared to go to the hospitals, especially ERs during the time uh, that COVID was at its highest. That was a really big deal. So being able to pivot to, to have an app in someone's pocket where they can start a conversation with a doctor and have a physician even prescribe things or or treat via a, a phone app, that's really important. And, and it underlines the importance of IT being involved with that. We have to be able to provide these services and support that from an IT infrastructure standpoint. So there's a really good opportunity for IT to be rock stars in this space. And I definitely see that continuing to grow. The, the second piece is really healthcare treating the whole patient. So one of the big pushes for Advent Health is treating the patient body, mind, and spirit. And, and that's going to become more of the norm, not just saying, hey, you come in here, we treat this one thing and you're gone. I, I think there's going to be a more of an emphasis on how do we deal with the things that have led to this illness or, or treat your lifestyle or help progress you while you're not in our care? How do we continue to care for you? And, and ultimately, hopefully keep these people from having some of these recurring issues because of that. And, and I think that's going to be a really big shift. And again, that technology enables us to be in better communication with our patients as we go forward. And then the, the third piece is, I think, transparency of costs. So I, I think healthcare, whether this is going to be something regulated on us or something that the organizations just choose to do, I think that's going to really expand. And that's going to be a piece that I think IT can help drive as we go through and uh, create all these ITSM processes and practices. And a big piece of that is being able to show return on investment and transparency of cost of different services we offer. Uh, I think we can be a great example as we start to take a look at what does enterprise service management look like? And, and as the tools enable us to, to create that visibility of cost in the IT space, I think that's something that will transfer pretty well in that space. And in your opinion, obviously, ServiceNow is the platform of choice, or you know, at least that's what we're we're seeing. Why is ServiceNow positioned to be a, a dominant player when thinking of those the, the, those trends? Yeah, you can absolutely see ServiceNow uh, shifting in the market, and, and this was a little bit of a gripe of mine about two years ago when we went to a knowledge conference and it, it was like a, a where is Waldo hunt trying to find some ITSM specific information at the knowledge <laughs> conference. And that wasn't necessarily, I looked at it as a bad thing at the time because I live in the ITSM space. That's really what I'm trying to push and grow and expand and, and be on the cutting edge, best practice in that space. But the more that you step back and look at it, uh, like I mentioned before, right? ITSM has, really created this framework of how do we deal with some of the most complex processes within our organization, and typically that's in the IT space. If we can do that with ITSM, I think when we start to talk about enterprise service management, we're a great example. We've set that foundation. We can say, hey, we did it here. Here's how it translates. And ServiceNow has really uh, seen that and they're pushing on it, whether that's HR or finance, whatever it may be, that's going to be a big thing they push on. Now, I, I honestly think ServiceNow is moving into a space 
that hasn't really been done before or done since the Microsoft uh, Office suite has really brought us that new functionality that we can't live with as far as an organization is concerned. So the enterprise isn't going to really be able to survive in the future without processes and workflows being used. And the days of teams working from Excel to do most of the work are going to start falling behind us because they're getting to a point where data is getting so big, they're not going to be able to handle it. Computers aren't going to be able to handle that processing of uh, those spreadsheets as easily. So I I think there's going to be a bigger emphasis on the business getting into uh, a tool like ServiceNow. And let's talk about your platform specifically. I'm sure you're very proud considering you were the the first person in the ground there to bring that to the business. Walk us through the current platform that you have in place at the moment. Yeah, I'm I'm really like every developer. I focus more on what the next thing is and, and sometimes don't uh, take a look back and celebrate the successes enough. That's probably one of the, the biggest points that I want to keep pushing forward on. But we've been on the platform about five years now. We initially got it in the door with configuration management and discovery. As I mentioned, we were on CA Service Desk Manager. We were making a merger between, we actually had two split IT teams, one for our multi-state locations and one for our central Florida location, which had different branding. And so a big piece of this was let's centralize IT support into one large group. Let's get us all on the same platform. We are on two separate instances of CA at the time. And so we moved to this single platform with a single set of of processes. We have done customization. I know that can be a curse word to some of the folks listening here, but we did it in the name of innovation. One of the big pieces here was the ham capability. So when we talk about hardware asset management, there really wasn't anything there in Helsinki. And this was one of the big pieces of what we got this for. We wanted to create an inventory and build life cycle processes. So we had to build some uh, workflows and, and tables and make this work. Since then, actually, I think in this current release, they've released ham as its own offering. And and they've done a lot of the same things we did. And and we're really excited about it because some of the things they just, we take a look at it and we're like, man, we wish we would have done it like that. So we do look to continue to shift and say, how can we uh, get off of our custom build? How do we get onto this other one? Because we want ServiceNow to support it. We want our upgrade time to be easier. We want less testing because we're more standardized with what they've put out. But at times you have to do that. You have to do some of the work to, to make sure we're approaching what we need to do with the business. And I am, you can probably see it on my LinkedIn page, I am a rules before the tools guy. I want to define my process and then have the tool drive my process. I don't want the tool to dictate what the process is, but that's one of the great things with ServiceNow is they've really stayed in touch with their community to help understand what should best practice be. And that's what we want to keep leveraging because we know there's going to be other companies that have asset management needs uh, that are greater than ours and they need more specific detail. And so they're probably more mature to, than us. We want to m- learn from that and continue to grow and leverage some of that stuff. So that's one of the biggest pieces. And obviously from a business process and workforce perspective, it adds immense amounts of value to the organization. Looking at it from a value proposition, how has the, the platform added value to, to the business? Yeah, our our biggest improvement, especially when we merged our two organizations, our two IT organizations together, the biggest piece was we 
created a consistency of service. So when I first joined Advent Health, the category structure had grown out of control. There were o- over 200 options that someone could select on an incident area to say, this is what's going on. If you have those uh, data fields that are selectable, it makes reporting great. But if you have 200 options to choose from, especially at the customer level or the service desk level, that's going to be a mess. So those categories really range from server names to categories to, I think even in one case, it was a person. So we went through and as we merged, that was one big piece with it. Let's standardize our process and our data points that we're trying to capture here. And let's normalize some of that activity across the organization so that we have better reporting, we can get to our services quicker. Quicker, and we don't have all these different routes that tickets can take. We want to make sure that we follow the same process and we know what's going to happen after this ticket comes into our environment and how we're going to support it. And are there any specific use cases or maybe customer sort of case studies that you could share? One of the big pieces is as we continue to improve our CMDB and get our data, which will help our organization see what we have and what the impacts are downstream when we have incidents to these devices. When we first shifted into COVID-19 and that that work from home scenario that came out of that, we needed a quick way to track our equipment that was going to have us looking at numbers of people going home that we'd never really seen before. When you work in the healthcare environment, you just drive down any street and you can see healthcare offices or uh, buildings all over the place, especially here in Florida, you can see an Advent Health building on every corner. So we were having teams that were working from home that we never really anticipated. With that shift, obviously we had to make sure our infrastructure was right, but we also had devices going home that we still needed to track. We have ServiceNow Discovery but we didn't have any capability of making sure all these computers were on at a certain time when we ran discovery now that they're at someone's house we didn't have a way of tracking who has brought what home and so that was one of the big pieces did a pivot for very quickly and we designed a portal page that would show our users hey here is what you have assigned to you and be able to mark those as being sent home so that we had a quick way of understanding these are the devices based on our asset management workflow. And now we can also say these are at home rather than in the physical office. The other piece as we uh, pushed out an always on VPN type of setup so that as you uh, turn on your computer, VPN just automatically connects. That allowed us to do the discovery a lot more easily and have that visibility of those devices so that we could still leverage uh, ServiceNow Discovery and our other tools to understand where our devices were and what was going on with them. I'm sure every implementation you've been involved with has gone you know, completely perfectly and everything <laughs> went swimmingly all the time. But looking back on some of these projects, and like you said, there's a number, right? Back to that mentorship piece. What have been some of the, the, the key learns when bringing ServiceNow or, or, or I suppose any platform to a business? What, what have been some of the learns you've had on the way? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things was uh, really around our catalog. When we were in the previous tool, request, incident, and change, and problem, they all existed on the same table. It was all the same ticket, and you could literally just change a flag, and it would change from a problem ticket to a change ticket. Now, we we didn't enable that, but that was our, our kind of visibility of how this worked. As we transitioned over to ServiceNow, we realized the entire scope 
of catalog a little bit too late. We didn't have a catalog before. So as we implemented, we spent a ton of time on change because change is probably one of our more mature processes. We spent a ton of time on incident, making sure that was built out right. And, and we saved requests in the catalog for last. We really regret doing that. I think as we've gone through and understood the, the power of the catalog, we've understood how much of a mark we missed there. And that's become our really our renewed focus. How do we make this catalog better? How do we make it easier? Because that's really, if you take a look at IT, that is the closest we get other than our field support teams to being in direct contact with our customers. Having that presentation of what services you offer and what service offerings you have in these different areas is so vitally important. And I, I don't think we allowed ourselves enough time for that. Now, we also didn't have a, a lot of the capabilities in the background that we've uh, matured to today, but that's a really big thing I would say we want to continue to improve on and wish we would have spent more time in implementation. Now, one of the big things that's come out in Quebec, which is the current version, is this new catalog builder. And that catalog builder gives you the ability uh, to create templates and UIs to just drag and drop and create a new catalog item. Uh, this is something I've been asking for since we bought the product. But what we want to shift to is start putting the catalog back into the service owner's hands. So as the IT services are, are put out there or application services, they can go in and say, hey, here's my category within the catalog and, and give them the ability to create their own items have a, an approver at the category level who can say, yes, we want to make this available. But from our standpoint in ITSM, we can really drive what that workflow is on the background. And that's going to be a big benefit for us. So that's a really important thing. So if you are going through implementation, please make sure you spend some time on catalog because it's so powerful and, and you need to get that customer experience right. Amazing. I really appreciate the, the that overview. So you know, the other side of implementations is obviously your executive stakeholders, right? We hear a lot about how the C-suite are embracing change within the business and, and digital transformational change. What would be some of your advice? And I suppose I'm thinking, what should a C-suite executive have front of mind when bringing uh, transformation into the business, just in your view? Yeah, I really I view this question from a IT standpoint quite a bit. So when I think C-suite, I'm thinking our C-suite within IT because unfortunately we don't get a ton of time to go present to the CEO of the organization. But those are your representatives, right? So you need to make sure that they're on board and they understand what they should be communicating to those folks. But I think the biggest thing when I think about C-suite is when we talk digital transformation, make sure you understand this is not solely the responsible of IT to define and drive. Yes, we need to be trusted advisors throughout the process and stay up to date on the emerging trends that are out there. But really, we need to set ourselves up to be better partners with the business and help enable their success. As we have our strategies ready and we need to be capable to deliver, but that value is co-created. That is not something IT can come out and say, hey, here's a value. We have to make sure we co-create that value so they see the value of what they're getting. And so as we go through this process of transformation, it needs to really be for that intent of what we're trying to get to. Um, now, does that really mean to say, hey, IT shouldn't go ahead and plan our strategy of uh, 
shifting from on-prem devices to cloud infrastructure. That's not really what I'm saying there. There's going to be certain things we drive internally, but when it comes to the business, we need to think about that value first proposition and drive through that whole process uh, holistically. And again, back to that mentorship section of the podcast, as a director of service management, again, what, what makes a great director of IT service management in your eyes? Yeah, I think you have that piece of working with the C-suite team, obviously. That's going to be with many of the director positions across most organizations. But I think the first thing I, I think about here with this question is, is a leadership first approach here and say, you have to enable your team. But that, that doesn't just mean enable them to learn something new. Well, that's a big part of it. We need to drive their skills and continue training them and giving them opportunities. But at the same time, we have to enable them to make decisions. So if you've equipped them with the knowledge of saying, hey, this is best practice, this is how we handle things, and acted as that uh, example for the on how we deal with certain situations, I, I think then you can build that trust with your team to where it, it doesn't become a micromanagement type of situation. And a director's role really should be around the strategy and allowing you to step out of firefighting mode and having to be on everything uh, that comes up, right? Anytime something's broken, this really allows your team to handle things and you can step out and stay in that strategy space. One great example I can give you, um, we've been improving our upgrade process over and over again as we uh, upgrade from one or one version of service now to another. And this last upgrade, I literally did not get involved at all on, which like I said, I've owned the platform. I've been hands-on with it in the past. Let the team do their thing, stepped out. We got it done faster. We got it done with less incidents than we've ever had before. And so that was just a major uh, accomplishment. And it goes down to the fact that we have a very capable team and, and they know how to handle it. When there are problems, they know how to deal with it. So that's a big piece of it. I think the other piece uh, with, it is a shift to that logic of understanding the business needs. Our, our big focus right now, we're really looking at customer experience. How do we continue to make it easy, which is one of our service standards? How do we keep pushing that, make their interactions with the IT staff pleasant as well as something easy that they, they dealt with? You've obviously, what, how many people do you have in your team now? 20? Uh, about 20, yeah. Okay, cool. Obviously, I'm guessing that's a best-in-class internal team. What would be some of your advice for building that team? Because what we're seeing is we're seeing people start to navigate through from technical roles into managerial. We're seeing organizations looking to understand how to build a good service now team. You've touched on a lot of things already, but I'd just be interested if there's any other specific key themes you had there. Yeah, absolutely. We've tried various different approaches with this. We've taken people from other teams that have no ITSM experience that maybe have just done the service desk work or done field support work. And we've also brought in very experienced people with years of experience in these different practices. And I think the thing we found most successful is, is finding people that are hungry to learn and then also finding people who will fit a family culture we've created. So that's a really big thing on our team. Before, before we all got sent home, we were big on doing potlucks. And for those of you that don't know, that just everyone brings in their own food dish for lunch and, and we kind of share and partake. But that, that family, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That family atmosphere that we create and, and really it's stayed together since everyone's worked at home. And, and in fact, I actually, we, we had quite a few team members that went to the same meetup spot to get their vaccine. And we went there and, and one of my employees came up to me and said, hey, Kenny, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And 
they reminded me, this is the first time we've ever met in person. I have never met this person before, but I never felt that way because uh, the way we communicate, how, how we stay in touch. So it didn't even register to me that I had never physically met this person before in my life. So a uh, very interesting thing, but that's one of the things that have stuck together. And I think that starts by leadership legitimately showing that they care about these employees. You get into some of these larger organizations and you don't get that aspect of it, but I do feel like we have that family connection. We, we're always checking up on how our families are doing, how our kids are doing, and, and the ITSM processes and tools, those can be taught. Obviously, you have to have some base skill set to get in here, but, but personality and drive, that, that can't always be taught. And a lot of our, our newer dev hires that we've had, they're coming from full stack development backgrounds, never worked on ServiceNow before, and, and they're picking up those skills quickly. But we found that they gelled with the team. And so that was worth making an investment in. So you talked before about how ServiceNow is, is evolving. What, what's your predictions for the future? What was next for the platform? I was probably up way too late thinking about this question. Um, it's <laughs> Sorry. A, it's a, it's a really good one. And I'm just like, ah, there's so many uh, paths you can take. I, I think one of the big pieces is they're going to keep pushing on their low code, no code. As they expand into the enterprise service management mentality, they know that the, the customer base they were dealing with before is not the same customer base that they have now. So to keep attracting those people, the business doesn't always want to rely on everything from IT to get something built. And, and again, that's partially IT's fault. We haven't made it very easy for people to get things done fast. But as we go through this process of shifting to, to be HR facing or finance facing, they're going to continue to make that environment even more and more easy. The thing that IT struggled to do, they're going to go ahead and, and push and move forward. And I think that will be a good reflection from IT's standpoint, as long as we can mimic and keep driving that. I think any other innovations are really going to be driven out of the ServiceNow community. Now, I might be a little biased here. I'm the ServiceNow user group leader for Central Florida, and I've been heavily involved with the community. But as we go through that, I see so many people like at these hackathons and various events, the developer meetups, and I see how creative they are. They're eager to improve the functionality and, and they're doing this in their free time, right? This is not something that they're just going through and, hey, this is my work hour. My team even is, hey, when can we go be part of this again? Because they want to innovate. They want to see things push forward. And, and I think ServiceNow has their ear to the community. So they're looking out and saying, hey, what's next? What can we keep improving upon? And what's the need, right? Because one, one of the great examples we saw at a hack a few years ago was uh, integration with a vending machine. And you might think, oh, that's silly. But you start thinking about hardware asset management and some remote locations that you may have and someone's mouse breaks. That would be a great thing if you could auto-fulfill uh, a mouse dropping out of a vending machine based on a ticket that's being placed. That, that's really right. cool, innovative stuff. So uh, I think we're going to see more of that coming in the future. Fantastic. And, and I'm really happy you said that about the community. I think it's definitely a theme that we're we're seeing and it's, it is a fantastic and we're all great to be uh, very privileged to be part of that community as well. Yeah. So look, just before we come to a close, any any advice you'd offer to yourself, your younger self, sorry, if you could go back and have a little chat with Kenny 
five. Yeah. First of all, other than the investments I should have made, I think the biggest pieces are stop talking and listen. And that's a really ironic thing to say on a podcast, but that's really uh, such a big thing. And especially as we start talking about leadership and mentorship, um, as you progress through your career, there's going to be a lot of opportunities and your initial reaction is I need to open my mouth and share how much I know. That's not really something that's always in question. The people that I have learned the most from are the ones who can just stop and listen and, and truly take in what's being asked before they start to solution, before they start to uh, develop answers. We shouldn't be speaking just to hear ourselves speak or to be the person who's opening up their mouth and talking about that. So that's probably the biggest thing. I honestly, in my heart, thought I would say something technical. Let's go down this path. And But honestly, that, that would have taken me uh, a lot further in some other areas. For those of you who are a little earlier in your career, take that advice. I think it'll do well for you. Fantastic. Just before we come to a close, look, this has been fan a brilliant conversation. I've really enjoyed it and you've, you've touched on so many different points. Is there anything you'd like to add before we call it a day? No, I definitely appreciate your time. I'm really enjoying listening to the podcast. I'm catching up on a few of them, but this community is great. you got to really love the people that are involved and especially some of the folks that you've interviewed. It's just really great to hear some of the things that they're pushing forward and progressing on. And we hope to continue to share our stories of, of what's next and what are we doing to really push the bar. Kenny, thank you very much for your time. This has been great. Have a great one. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Oldest Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com, to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.